What I try to do in my practice is to advance how metaphors can be applied to visualization. Hi everyone, welcome to a new episode of Data Stories. My name is Moritz Stefan and I'm an independent designer of data visualizations. I work as a self-employed truth and beauty operator out of my office here in the countryside in the north of Germany. And I am Enrico Bertini. I am a professor at New York University where I do research in data visualization. Yeah, and on this podcast, we talk about data visualization, data analysis, and generally the role data plays in our lives. And usually we do that together with a guest or two that we invite on the show. Exactly. But before we start, just a quick note. Our podcast is listener supported, so there's no ads. So if you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us with recurring payments, which you can make either on Patreon, uh, going to patreon.com slash data stories, or you can also send us a one-time donations on paypal.me slash data stories. That's right. And we're always super happy when a little donation comes in or a new Patreon has been found. We're also happy about your messages. And there's many ways you can get in touch with us per email, by Twitter. You can find all this on the website. What's new is we also have an Instagram account now. Yeah. And it's at data stories and one word underscore podcast, data stories underscore podcast. And yeah, there you can see when we publish a new episode, you might also be able to see a bit of behind the scenes uh, from upcoming recordings. <laughs> so it might be worth checking out data stories underscore podcast. Anyways, enough about us. Let's get started with the main topic. And uh, we have two special guests today uh, who join us. And we have on the one hand, Pedro Cruz. Hi, Pedro. Hello. And we have John Webe. Hi, John. Hello. Hi. Hi. Welcome. Pedro, can you tell us a bit uh, about yourself? Of course. Uh, first of all, thank you for, for bringing us here. Um, so I'm a data visualization designer who explores new metaphoric ways uh, that are very figurative uh, in order to visualize information. Um, I'm an assistant professor here at Northeastern University, uh, mostly in the MFA in Information Design and Visualization, and I have a PhD in Information Science and Technology from the University of Coimbra, so my background is computer science. John, how about you? Yeah, so I'm a professor, assistant professor of journalism and media innovation in, uh, at Northeastern University. And I have a sort of long running interest in data journalism and, and data visualization. And um, in the four or five years I've been a full time academic, that's just sort of grown. And uh, it's grown in, in some proportion because of just meeting Pedro and getting involved in some crazy fun projects. So <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And one of these crazy fun projects is also the main reason we have you on the show today. It's actually one of our favorite data visualization projects from mm -hmm. the last year. And I think many, many people joined that sentiment. And it's called Simulated Dendrochronology of US Immigration. So that's a very sciencey name. First of all, what is dendrochronology? Uh, yes, we indeed wanted to bring a little bit of science into the, that project. So that dendrochronology is the science or techniques of dating events. 
uh, environmental change and uh, archaeological artifacts by using the characteristic patterns of annual growth rings in timber and tree trunks. Uh, so basically, uh, a tree has its own way of organizing information and it, it, uh, it grows in its own way. And you can basically look into the, the, the structure of the tree itself, and you have uh, several ways in how you can do this, to understand the environmental conditions that affected the tree itself. Uh, so that's that's what they do. Usually those rings are annual, so you can count how how uh, how old the tree was. Uh, you can uh, figure out if you have a very thick ring that the, the the conditions were better during that year, for example. And you can even try to figure out if the the tree was leaning into a certain direction more than the other, for example. So it's a set of techniques. Uh, it's actually a science and a set of practices that enables you to to uh, extract evidence in how uh, this tree rings uh, and how these trees lived. So then the project and visualization we're talking about takes this as the main metaphor, right? To create a really beautiful and compelling and informative visualization. So can you briefly describe, I, I know that it's it's a little hard to describe it in words mm -hmm. and let's see if, if we can make it. So how does the visualization work? Um, so uh, we, we, we try to bring out this knowledge from dendrochronology to the visualization itself. Uh, we used uh, about 2 billion entries uh, from, this is actually census data uh, from the University of Minnesota. And uh, because we wanted to have the registries of the people themselves that, uh, that declared that they came from a certain country. So we wanted to work with the raw data. And what we wanted to have was a system that indeed uh, placed or positioned cells that represent that people and that simulates it in a way that is similar to how trees grow um, in, in order to have this metaphor of the tree ring here working, uh, working for this data. So how it works is that each tree ring is separated by 10 years. Is 10 years apart because those are the census data. Ideally, you would have one year because that's how uh, trees works, but, uh, but <laughs> the census data uh, <laughs> put some constraints on us uh, regarding that. And then you can read the thickness of the ring. And by the thickness of the ring, you can infer, for example, how many people were brought into the country um, in that time period. That's one of the main things. The other is that you can perhaps, you can also count the tree rings and make associations uh, in terms of comparisons uh, temporary-wise, for example. Um, you, the, the, the cells, they grow at the center, so the older ones are at the center. And the most recent ones, the most recent waves of immigration in this case, are more in the periphery of the, the, of the tree ring. And this is inspired in the model in how tree rings grow. Uh, it also, it also uh, uh, grows more to certain locations depending on immigration, comes from so mm -hmm. but that's another property that that i would like to elaborate on as we go as mm -hmm. we talk more mm -hmm. yeah but as it totally provides a really beautiful metaphor for how a nation grows similar to a tree right by by all the uh the people joining joining uh, the country at given different points in time and also how they all leave their traces right and i mm -hmm. think that that mm -hmm. makes a very yes. beautiful overall framing for the whole topic but and at the same time a very readable and let's say intuitive graphic i know the word intuitive is always a bit difficult but mm -hmm. i think in this case it really applies because you take something that people know from nature and and you reuse it in a new context um so 
how did you come up with this idea? How, how did it start? I think it was sitting around in my office. Um, Pedro and I had completed a project uh, completely unrelated on uh, financial disclosure and transparency in the United States. It's something that it was a it was a it was a research interest that Pedro had pursued in in uh, in relating to Lisbon and, and his native Portugal. And so we had we had done some some interesting metaphors with respect to transparency, political transparency. And then we got to mm-hmm. sitting around my office one day talking about immigration. And it was very much obviously been, you know, uh, the topic du jour in the United States. And we were trying to think through how we could say something different and, and make a contribution. Um, and uh, we started talking about different kinds of metaphors that could be used in this domain. And then, Pedro, do you recall exactly when you fixed on the tree ring possibility? Yeah, yeah. So um, I, actually, we um, and we, we decided to tackle these, uh, uh, these points that John mentioned by, uh, from the perspective of population flows in and to America. Uh, mm-hmm. That was that was the the first project that that impelled this one. Mm-hmm. So you thought about particles and things moving. Oh, very from, good, right? very good. Yeah. So the first yeah. thing, yes, <laughs> flows and particles and swarms and whatever not. But uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, that uh, that you know it uh, it would be interesting for sure. But that that's something that 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 is already done, and mm-hmm. I, I would be developing again something from scratch. That is a lot of work just uh, just to implement solutions that are already out there. Uh, and what I try to do in my in my in my in my practice is to uh, advance how metaphors can be applied uh, to to visualization because the the. The, the flows or, or, or edge bundling or swarms, they are also metaphors in themselves mm-hmm. for flows, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but, um, but, but, but I wanted something else that I haven't seen before to use in this, in this theme and something that I even, during a very intense process of brainstorming, there was, there was this hypothesis of having, uh, soil layers and technology. Te- tectonic plates, oh, like yeah. you can mm-hmm. you can mm-hmm. stack them up because it's right, uh, right. Uh, it's also in line with this uh, historical sense of the data. Mm-hmm. It's preserved. Mm-hmm. It gives you an overall impression. Um, but then from that we uh, we went to trees. We went to trees, and the first time we went to trees, I remember that I thought, okay, trees. Do we have any hierarchical information here? Because that's how you use trees now. <laughs> could you make right? it hierarchical so we could use a tree? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it wasn't. Um, so that's that's that led us to oh, what about the cross section of the yeah, tree? Yeah. What do we have in there that uh, that we can use? Um, and that's 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 how the idea was born. But please keep in mind this: this was okay. Let's use the tree rings to show this history of. Uh, oh, of immigration, but we didn't have any idea in how well we would implement it, and even graphically wise, how we did, how it would look, um, because we didn't we didn't want it to look too um, cartoonish, for example. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we the objective here was not to draw something that looks like tree rings and gives you a data impression of something. The objective was more to have a system that grows a tree. Mm-hmm. That reacts to data, and from this system who ha- that has behaviors that are inspired in the data, you naturally have this outcome uh, that comes from the the data. Very nice. And then basically, was that kind of like a light bulb moment? It's like, yeah, it's three yes. <laughs> three rings, right? Yes. Well, working with Pedro is is really fun because 
he 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 sometimes operates as kind of a religious mystic when he'll, he'll just kind of <laughs> he'll walk into the room and say i'm thinking of trees and he'll just stop and then you just wonder what is he a madman like let's unpack this idea and so it's it's quite fun and at first i was somewhat skeptical um but then i started thinking about trees and then we just sat there and thought about trees for a long time and it was yeah anyway it yeah, yeah. It came organically. <laughs> yes, yeah. and, yeah. and John was very skeptical because the first drafts, drafts that I brought him were were the um, the first iterations of the project that are in that research paper of mine that uh, Morris uh, mentioned. And as you can see, they don't really look like tree rings, so that's that's why they were skeptical. <laughs> but uh, I was in a phase that I was tr- <laughs> beginning to simulate the process because it mm-hmm. it takes time to refine it, and one actually has to read a lot about trees in order mm-hmm. to make these things working. So basically, after coming up with the idea and the metaphor, now you had to figure out how to actually implement it, right? and come up with an algorithm. So how yes. can you explain us how this works? Of course. Well, the the first take uh, that I tried to do was basically a, basically a stacking algorithm. So you have cells, um, you do 360 degree circles, mm. um, and, and you deposit cells. Yeah. Mm. Uh, and mm. in the end, you have like a shape that is made out, it's a stacked bar chart that is yeah. uh, rotated. Uh, <laughs> T- Tableau yeah. can also do these types of radial stacked indeed. bubble yes. chart. Indeed, yeah. indeed. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, yeah. we didn't want to do that. So we moved to uh, have a physics engine there because those cells are born. And whenever they are born, they push the other cells that are around them. Right? Mm-hmm. And th- these pushes are what create, is what creates the um, the organic shapes that we are used to see in trees. Mm, and mm. it's also very important to know where to implement those pushes. Because at the beginning, for example, I was making all, tree, uh, all cells being born at the center of the visualization. Mm-hmm. And that would result in something that is always very circular. Mm-hmm. And I realized that it's not there where... where where cells grow in a tree. It's, uh, it's in a place called the vascular cambium, which is just below the bark, just below ah. the bark, it mm-hmm. grows there. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. then you, you have this interesting property, which is uh, you, you, you have the trunk that exerts uh, uh, some pressure also on those newborn cells, right? So, and, uh, and that's also a property that confers the, the, the type of shapes that we are used to see uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh, in tree rings. Mm-hmm. Um, and in order to make that happen, indeed, I, uh, uh, I had to uh, make a, a cell born in a certain place, um, always, always around the rim, but a few, a few, bell, a few cells <laughs> inside of the ones that were already <laughs> okay. there yeah, in order yeah, to have okay. that pressure. Oh, yeah. Nice, nice. And that's... Yeah. that's, yeah. that's that's what what creates the effect. Um, yeah. That yeah. it must have taken a while to figure out. Yeah? Yes, uh, yes, <laughs> we went through a lot series of experimentations, and even there was a funny one with color. Do you want to tell that one? Well, yeah. So there there were a number of dynamics uh, that, at a at a kind of higher level of meaning and representation that we were really kind of worried about. So one was we realized that if it was, we realize that if we if we include native borns alongside, mm-hmm. then um, one of the things because the early census counts are counting basically 
you know, white Europeans is that the core of our representation of America would look all white. Mm-hmm. And, and we were very conscious of like what that would look like. And we knew that has an, has a certain reality. Obviously, African Americans were not counted. Uh, there were slaves at the time and, and right, indigenous right. peoples yeah. and Native Americans mm-hmm. were not counted mm-hmm. early on. So mm-hmm. we, we had all of these problems in, in, in trying to paint a picture of, of, of American diversity, mm-hmm. um, in a way that, is fair to history, but the other problem was we were going to incorporate colors, and co- colors were going to encode, um, you know, the 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 regions and continents of origin of different people. And mm. so, what what Pedro was alluding to just now is that uh, originally P- Pedro came to me with a design in which everything was red, white, and blue, and I, <laughs> and so and we immediately yeah. started working on that problem mm. as it just seemed because we had we, we had blue for a. Uh, uh, immigrants coming from Europe, and we mm-hmm. had uh, red for immigrants coming from Canada. And mm-hmm. in the first years of Massachusetts, for example, uh, that those are the only groups of immigrants. So uh, Massachusetts was looking very uh, uh, blue and red. And given the cultural context of these colors here in the U.S., we didn't want to say that these uh, these immigrate this type of immigration is more American than the other that would That's be coming right. after. That's right. That's so right. we had to change those colors. That's right. I mean, the audiences, yeah, the audiences are just going to be so, and they were when we put this out on social media, just so aware of all of the different levels of meaning and encoding and, mm-hmm. and, and the, the resonance and kind of valence of meaning around all of these different choices. And, and people are very acutely, you know, sensitive and aware of all of this. So we, we tried yeah. to do our best to be fair and, and, and interesting mm-hmm. at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then we come back also to this topic of what is the emotional, you know, yes. uh, message of a visualization. What are the associations people have just with the, the image itself, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And this is something like in data visualization, we often talk about how effective are different chart types, how effective are different visual channels. But I think we don't talk so much about the semiotic aspects and about the semantic mm-hmm. aspects, about all the emotional connotations and yeah. associations that are triggered by certain, yeah, visual um, artifacts, right? And I think this is why why this idea of using such a metaphor is, is, can be such a powerful one. But you're right; it has to be done also the right way. Otherwise, you, you can totally like uh, have a good intention, but yes. <laughs> message you know the, yes. the the wrong thing at the end of the day, right? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So. I think you touched on a bit on why the tree is a good metaphor and how you like how you were careful with the colors and and what the overall impression is. Are there any other like thoughts around why why you felt that the tree or the the tree cross section is is a good overall a, a good um, vehicle for the ideas at hand? Uh, first, there are other implementation, uh, other interesting implementation stories that we can talk about uh, that lead to that type of tree that we have. But nonetheless, whenever you have an object like this, let's call it an object, and whenever you have someone pointing at a specific tree ring and talking to his family that we came here in this period, and uh, this is us. Mm. Uh, you have an emotional connection there. And you have an emotional connection because it's a tree ring. It's saying that all cells are part, are a part of this tree mm. and that all cells contributed to the growth of the country. 
So the, those are the main messages that at least I, I try to convey. Also, it's a message of uh, uh, inclusivity or inclusiveness. Uh, yes. the, there are the two mm, trends nowadays. Yeah, <laughs> you know how to say the word. But um, uh, so, so those are, those were the main messages, and I think the 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 tree ring conveyed that a lot because it's a it's an organism where we all contributed to its growth, and it's also an organism that uh, that that shows a long history that has a, 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 this historical sense associated with it. Um, and, you know, and, we, and it's very real. Uh, it's a little bit morbid even in the sense that uh, a, a, a cross-section of a tree is made of dead cells. So <laughs> yeah, o- only true. cells in that vascular cambium mm. are alive and the others are mm. dead. Right? Mm. And, and indeed... Uh, the per, the people that we represented as well, most of them are dead mm-hmm. as well already, um, because they came, they contributed, they consolidated, but it's like they they left its mark in history. But they still leave a trace, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. A part of the overall construction, basically. Yeah. So so it's a matter of trying to find, you know, the, the, this whole thing of metaphors is about, you know, translating one domain to the other, right? And making these trans- translations in a way that that works. And whenever you have a, me- a metaphor that enables you to to uh, uh, draw a certain rhetoric uh, over over the graphic itself, um, and, and this by using the language of graphics and not words, because you can have a very sterile visualization and have a rhetoric, a rhetorical text after it, <laughs> right? Mm. But you can also have these. These messages embedded in the visualizations themselves, and that's mm-hmm. that's 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 what I think. Uh, metaphor has a, a a huge role to play, at least for these visualizations that uh, that uh, that are for a very large and wide audience, right? Yeah, there was another dimension that I think it, it, it's sort of a. I'll amplify one of your one of your thoughts here, which was that the. Um, we were thinking about contemporary policy and the building of the 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 wall by President Trump, and we were thinking about um, you know immigration quotas and and preferences for certain kinds of people over other certain kinds of people. And one of the things we didn't talk a lot about argument. I know it's sort of a platitude mm-hmm. in, in visualization that everything is an argument, but we didn't talk particularly about there being a political argument. But nevertheless, what the met what the metaphor of the tree ring allows for is a statement that irrespective of the current policy and and future policy changes the past is a fact and there is a there is a um it's irrevocable it's mm-hmm. it's you cannot efface it. it it exists um and um that i thought at a at a kind of deep level was really important um as a as a as a facet of this project yes mm-hmm. yes and those again are things that are embedded in the graphical language itself and that's 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 what's fascinating at least for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. Yeah, and of course, and that's a very, let's say, an, uh, a way of thinking we know from art, right? Is is to think about all the, all the effects, like on the, like not exactly super, uh, superficial level, but all these, everybody will have different um, associations with that image, but in a way, it triggers the same underlying mechanisms. I think for all of us, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I think the beautiful thing is, it's, uh, it's still a straightforward, super readable visualization, you know, mm-hmm. that presents really, really a well, well readable uh, graphic, but also tells you something about a certain 
stance you have towards mm -hmm. the data and a certain position you take as an author. And I think that's it's an ideal case in many way, uh, <laughs> ways is, is to achieve that. Um, so, yeah, I think that's really great. And I think it has a lot to do with this power of this metaphor. And I also have this theory that anytime a visualization is physically plausible, it's more effective. <laughs> it's one of my working theories. Yeah, right, it's like right. If people mm -hmm. can get why a certain point ends up in a certain space, you know, in a yes. certain position, it, like there's a process behind it that is plausible, I think it's more effective. But it's uh, it's hard to prove, but it's one of no, my, yeah. my, my uh, basic uh, yeah, feelings yeah, yeah, about yeah, data uh, yeah. For you to prove that, you'll, you'll need a lot of research there and mm -hmm. to uh, uh, collect the opinions of a lot of folks. <laughs> Nonetheless, uh, it's um, what you said, in my opinion, is what uh, what what makes metaphor present in all visualizations? In hmm. all of them. Even if it's nowadays, nowadays if they are uh, invisible, like in a pie chart, the metaphors is parts of a, of a wall, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, we don't think about that anymore, but someone yeah, had to think true. about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And if, even the bar charts, they are physical quantities. Mm. So it's it's translating in the, these, abstract data set, these abstract data sets to a more physical space right? mm -hmm. and uh, and sometimes trying to do it in a way in which they relate to the to the real domain where they came from mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. if i'm uh, if i'm mapping um, um, a bus on a road i want to indeed leave a trail try to suggest that this is a, a bus leaving a trail right and not just showing an average of uh, of the velocities, for example. So that it's 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 a lot about physicality, or at least the ideas of physicality that we have in our in our visual system. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I agree, and I have to say that, in my opinion, that's one of the most underestimated and understudied aspect of data visualization. I I am I have myself been this discovering and rediscovering this idea multiple times. So I think especially in the academic world, we, we talk a lot about effectiveness for visualization, which is mostly linked to how accurately mm -hmm. you can extract quantitative information out of it. I'm not at all persuaded that that's, that's what makes <laughs> visualization you can, effective. You can, you can easily uh, <laughs> go more... I hope nobody's gonna hear <laughs> no, me. No, you uh, lose your tenure. You lose your tenure. Can we? Should we? Should we cut that no, part? <laughs> well, I don't think so. But I, I, th I think that's very valuable. Obviously, uh, and it depends on the settings in which visualizations are used, right? Yeah. Uh, and it, and it, yeah. And oh, if yeah, it's for a broad yeah. audience, yeah. indeed, I don't want them to be there with a ruler and a compass and writing the metrics uh, because that's not the point. Uh, the point is to communicate a message and for it to be memorable. Mm -hmm. And indeed, you can try to measure mem memorability uh, for specific visualizations, um, you know, just by interviewing them after some period of time and etc. So it can be a, a kind of more qualitative uh, research so that there's space for that to be done mm -hmm. in memorability, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah, memorability yeah, yeah. is also a function, yeah. right? It can be, yeah. it's functional as well. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I, I don't want to hijack the whole episode here, but I, I would just say that I think uh, for some reason, there are some visual representations that that just 
work, right? You you could mm-hmm. present this thing for the first time to a person and it's very intuitive. And as Moritz said before, I don't know exactly what intuitiveness is. It's it's complicated, <laughs> yeah. right? It's but there are some yeah. others that are just graphical puzzles and you can mm-hmm. like see them a thousand times is still a bit of a puzzle. <laughs> yeah. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. So yeah. and I don't think we have a good understanding, at least I don't have a good understanding mm. of how this works. Mm-hmm. There could also be interesting intercultural differences like That's you know absolutely. what what is a yeah. good metaphor in one cultural context might be a yes. horrible for sure, one in for another sure. context. That, that, the metaphors only work if there is some familiarity with them. Yeah. Yeah. Must be some That's common ground, some shared yeah. experience behind it. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's, there's another thought here. Sean Carter, he had a beautiful talk. We had him on the show like years ago, but he, he had a really <laughs> nice talk on Distill Pop at OpenVisConf. And he said a good visualization is a, is an interface for ideas. And mm-hmm. I think um, this is a very powerful thought as well in this context that a good metaphor can give you an interface to actually interact with a, with a whole idea, right? Not just facts or not, not just a data set, but really be able to get a grip on a certain mindset or a certain model or a certain conceptualization, like a whole, you know, complex thing. And suddenly you can work with it. And I think maybe metaphors are something similar. If we mm. also think about meta, the role of metaphors in science is like if you can talk about atoms, let's say, you know, mm, in a metaphorical yeah, exactly. way, it's like, yeah. it's like uh, oh, it's like a little galaxy or it's like a little solar system. You know, it's not exactly true, but it helps you to figure some things out. And so it gives you a way, an interface basically to that idea. Oh, I like that a lot. I think there's probably something culturally shifting too globally i mean if you think about refugees being such a big part of the conversation and and then the conversation in the united states about immigration um you know these are these are issues big issues that the mind struggles with and so having new ways of seeing new interfaces for ideas as you said to understand these complex challenges i think is really important and and uh the fact that this one is so rooted in the in the ecological environment, mm-hmm. I think, is helpful to people mm-hmm. in terms of o- kind of creating an orienting picture uh, for further discussion, understanding. I think is you know the sort of I think you're absolutely right um, in the way you put it. Yeah. If our listeners are not super psyched about metaphors, where where could they learn more? <laughs> do you have any any tips like any any good sources to get we inspired do. or we to do. learn more about how they work? Uh, we have one that you suggested, the lack of metaphors we live by. Uh, ah, it's a great, yeah. beautiful yeah, it's, book. It's one of my favorite books, actually. Yes, it's yeah. a good introduction to uh, to to the definitions of metaphors, what uh, what sociologists cons- consider a metaphor, for mm. example, and also but it's how bit, our language is shaped by yeah. metaphors. Yes, so he is it, a very language-oriented person, uh-huh. obviously, and, and that's a great starting point to look at from the the language perspective. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm. Um, then you have uh, there is this great book by uh, Andrew Artney. Uh, first published in 79, and is a series of essays from several authors, and it has a chapter named Metaphor and Representation. Mm-hmm. And the name of the book is Metaphor and Thought. So mm-hmm. Metaphor and Thought by Andrew Ardeny. We will link that in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and also there is this very classical paper that uh, everybody knows, but n- not many talk about, which is the Metaphoric Mappings, the Art of Visualization by Donna Cox. Hmm. She was hmm. the one who introduced uh, the term visa force. 
Oh, I heard that. Yeah, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that no one uses. Cool, but uh, but uh, yeah, <laughs> exactly. it's, uh, she was the first introducing it. Um, and, and, and she lays out a series of principles of metaphors, uh, in visualization. Mm-hmm. So it's a good, uh, it's a good way to, to, to start with this. Great. Very That's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, only the question remains, how was the project received? I think I can answer it myself pretty well. You even won <laughs> pretty well. best, like most beautiful at information's beautiful awards. I think it was a big yeah. success. Yeah. Yeah. So me and Betsy so, were there when when you when you got the award. Oh, <laughs> fantastic! Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so, what, what's next for you? Do you have any plans to continue in this direction? Do you want to extend it? Keep remixing it? Or well, what? Uh, uh, at least from my shores? point of view. At least from my point of view, this uh, this uh, this project already. Uh, ended its cycle. Yeah. Uh, actually, when we got the awards, that were even some artifacts that were still being produced because we uh, uh, we needed a cartogram that was only made out uh, made out of immigrants. Mm-hmm. So we have that now. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that was the last phase of the project. Uh, nonetheless, uh, I think we intend on going in this direction, which is um, uh, using historical data and very robust and vast historical data data sets to tell stories and doing it again uh, through the the sensitive uh, uh, appliance of uh, application of the metaphor um, and doing it by using um, nature-inspired systems um, and simulations themselves that can simulate these systems, adapt to the data, and also add its own expressiveness that mm-hmm. is tied with whatever we want to say about the data. That's great. It could become a whole genre in my book. <laughs> I wouldn't <laughs> mind. Yeah, exactly. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 No. no, but the funny part yeah. here, at least from, from, from my perspective, is to have these systems as well. So mm-hmm. they can be uh, they can be uh, uh, powered by uh, by a physics engine, mm. uh, but they also can be adaptive in the sense that they can learn from the data sets. And so learn how they're going to adapt themselves to the data set. Mm. Yeah. You could also make physical systems, of course, if we think about uh, installation work. Or something no, like no, this, for sure. Right? For sure. For sure. We are, I work more in 2D and in the computer, but uh, we have lots of people here yeah, that yeah. could take yeah. a take on that. Yeah. No, there's, a, there's, a, there's probably a larger project that is sort of emerging about how to visualize diversity oh, yes. and, and, the, and the kind of uh-huh. very fundamental tension between aggregation and synthesis of data uh-huh. yeah. um, and, and, tr- and also trying to keep the granularity and the diversity of, of human life, whether it's language or culture, race, all of these different ways in which we're diverse, uh, you know, still apparent to the viewer. It's, re- it's a real challenge. And so this was a, this is, I think we had some success with this one and we'll, we'll, we're thinking about all kinds of things now, uh, even just related to our home city of Boston and how to, how to think about the diversity of the city, um, with, with through visualization, but without reducing, um, you know, collapsing in the way that line graphs and pie charts always do uh, yeah. uh, the actual diversity of human beings. Yeah. Yeah. And as you can see, uh, this, this he's so rich to, to be explored with metaphors, right? Diversity. <laughs> Those are the things. Yeah. There's one last thing that I wanted to ask you is uh, I see on your webpage that you there is an image where you're holding a big poster <laughs> and with, with, um, 
with the visualization. So is there a way to have a similar poster? <laughs> oh, uh, you, you are want you one of those? Uh, yes. We are not selling them. I want them, one. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. <laughs> but uh, we, we had several uh, people that wanted to uh, to buy those posters for, from us. We never had the time to set up set up that but perhaps that's that's the time now maybe or, you or should would you yeah. even just make a big yeah big file image available and people can print it i don't know that would be really cool i would be glad to make that <laughs> yeah. yeah for sure this for could sure be a way to supplement asking. your academic salary finally um, right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> things will go like the fashion line most of the people that want to um, print them themselves i just send them the file mm, often sure. i have uh, several people that want them in their offices and stuff like yeah, it's that. beautiful. It's beautiful. I, I have a few things in my office. One from Moritz, by the way. Yeah, it's still <laughs> and, there. Not bad. Yeah, it's still there. <laughs> and um, yeah, no, I would love to have it. And um, I just wanted to say, this is seriously one of my favorite projects ever. Uh, congratulations! It's, it's the first time I saw it. I was blown away. Thank you. It's uh, it's incredibly poetic and and technically interesting as well at the same time so yeah fantastic thank you for the words thank you <laughs> yeah fantastic thanks so much for coming on the show and we're looking forward to seeing seeing more <laughs> it was a huge honor like i was saying you know it's surreal to hear your voices actually asking <laughs> me something as opposed to just listening to you guys <laughs> we actually talk back <laughs> yes, yes. i know i know it's like a dr i'm like in a dream world or something it's very strange <laughs> that's very cool <laughs> okay thank now i'm going you. i'm going to wake up <laughs> <laughs> not at all thank you for having us it yeah, was a Pleasure. Thank you, Destry, yeah. too. Thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks so much. Thanks for joining us. Fantastic project. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening to Data Stories again. Before you leave, a few last notes. This show is now completely crowdfunded. So you can support us by going on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash datastories. And if you can spend a couple of minutes rating us on iTunes, that would be extremely helpful for the show. And here's also some information on the many ways you can get news directly from us. We're, of course, on Twitter at twitter.com slash datastories. We have a Facebook page at facebook.com slash podcast, all in one word. And we also have a Slack channel uh, where you can chat with us directly. And to sign up, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and there is a button at the bottom of the page. And we also have an email newsletter. So if you want to get news directly into your inbox and be notified whenever we publish an episode, you can go to our homepage, datastory.es, and look for the link you find at the bottom in the footer. So one last thing we want to tell you is that we love to get in touch with our listeners, especially if you want to suggest a way to improve the show or amazing people you want us to invite or even projects you want us to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. And don't hesitate to get in touch with us. It's always a great thing for to hear from you. So see you next time. And thanks for listening to Data Stories.